<laughs> Joseph, it's good to see you, man. I was wondering what happened to you. Did you join the military or something? No. Something's wrong with that head, man. Amen. Do you want to polish it? Use Burt's bee wax, man, it'll work. <laughs> we, got three, we got three preachers going to preach tonight, Adam and Andrew and Joe. I asked them to do three, 20 minutes on uh, the revival and uh, just get us fired up a little bit. So, Adam, where is you at? You ready? It's 626. Jerry's gone. Oh, Jerry, you ain't got, you're going to be doing, who'd you give the bell to? Oh, man. Whoa. All right, are we good? Okay, I mean, that song hits a little bit differently when you have people in heaven that you love that you want to see again. Whew. And the Lord's good. Take your Bibles and go to, uh, go to Luke chapter 10. I can't wait to get there. Can't wait to see him. And you realize what he did for you? All the garbage that you've done, that I've done, that he's put up with, and he knew before the foundation of the world what you did. And he saved you anyway. Man, it, there comes a point in your Christian life where it has to get real to you. And uh, I've, had, I've had places in my life and times where it didn't mean anything to me. And I was going through the motions. God was merciful. He didn't give up on me. Man, I'm sorry. Man, I can't wait for revival. You know, it's good to see people that weren't here a couple years ago that are here now. It's good to see people come back to church. It's good to see souls saved. It's good to see lives changed. And whew, Man, God has been good. Just the very fact that we don't deserve any of this, the fact that we're meeting here tonight with the freedoms that we have. And there's people in other countries that are fleeing their country right now, wishing they'd have a church service. And it just makes it a little bit more sweet. All right, Luke chapter 10. We need revival. I'm going to go ahead and stand. Maybe there's some people in here tonight that are spiritually sick. Maybe there's people that are going to be there tomorrow, start coming tomorrow and throughout the week that are, that are dying spiritually, right? They're going to need the spiritual crash cart to come and give them some life. And uh, sometimes we, we get into uh, routine and sometimes we get into the mechanics of everything and we miss the main main reason why we have revivals, why we come to church, why we do what we do. Luke chapter 10, 
And uh, verse number 38, talking about uh, Mary and Martha, a very familiar passage of Scripture. It says in verse 38, Now it came to pass as they went that they entered into a certain village, and a certain woman named Martha received him into her house. And she had a sister called Mary, which also sat at Jesus' feet and heard his word. But Martha was cumbered about with much serving and came to him and said, Lord, dost thou not care that my sister hath left me to serve alone? Bid therefore that she help me. And Jesus answered and said unto her, Martha, Martha, thou art careful and troubled about many things. But one thing is needful, Mary, one thing is needful, and Mary hath chosen that good part, which shall not be taken away from her. Brother Joey, preach or pray for us tonight. You'll be preaching later, but <laughs> amen. As Brother uh, Adam's already said, Father, we thank you for this passage you just read. What a uh, Lord, just a, just a reading it, Father, the, the, the weight and the heaviness that it has in it. We thank you for it. I pray you'd help Brother Adam now as he looks to dive in, Father, and through your spirit, Lord, give us what you've given him. I pray you'd help him to preach now. God, I pray you'd undergird him and give him strength, give him words to say, make preaching easy for him. And I pray, God, that we would be the better for it. We love you now, Lord, and pray you bless this evening in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, you may be seated. I'm just not going to wear my glasses tonight because they're all fogged up. But anyway, so here in Luke chapter 10, very familiar passage. We have Mary and Martha, and and um, they're they're close with Jesus. Jesus knows them, and uh, he loves Mary. He loves Martha. In John chapter 11, the Bible says that Jesus loved Martha, and he loved uh, her sister, and he loved Lazarus, and he loves his family here. And it says that she received, Martha received him into her house. And um, tonight I'm not, gonna, I'm not trying to uh, bash Martha in any way. I'm not trying to bring her down. But there was something, uh, there's a distinction between Mary and Martha that I think is very important going into the revival that we need to understand. And uh, I was just going over this passage. I don't have much of an outline, but uh, just some thoughts I, I jotted down. Um, here it says in, in verse number 40, it kind of caught my attention. Uh, but Martha was cumbered about which, with much serving. And uh, I looked up that, that word cumbered, and it means to be hindered, uh, to be obstructed. And uh, I think if, if we go into this revival with, without the right mindset, that we could, we could end up being hindered. Amen? You could end up hindering yourself from having revival. It says she was cumbered with much serving. And um, the Bible says in Galatians 6, 9, And let us be not weary in well-doing, for in due season we shall reap if we faint not. And uh, it's re really sad to see a lot of Christians fainting. It's sad to see a lot of Christians that, that used to be strong and used to be fervent for the Lord and, and on fire for God, and it's like, wh where are they now? What happened? And uh, I think here... We miss, we, we sometimes could uh, really, I can as, you know, in my life, I could relate with Martha and, and I find myself doing and working and trying to do all these different things. And uh, 
I'm not sitting at Jesus' feet when I'm supposed to. I'm not sitting. There was a position of these sisters, so one was sitting, the other was serving. One is contented and the other is cumbered. And uh, sometimes we, we you know, ser- there, there's nothing wrong with serving the Lord, right? There's nothing wrong with, with doing things for God. There's nothing wrong with, with working for Jesus Christ. But there comes a time, especially at times of revival, where we need to get out of that mode of, of service and out of that mode of, of, I have to do this, and I have to do this, and I'm, I'm worried about this over here. And, and, and Martha, I, it, she, had, she had a good mindset. I don't think that her, her intention was to serve Jesus Christ. Her intention was to do the best that she could for Him when it comes to those physical things, when it came to food, when it came to nourishment. They, she was getting the table ready, preparing all, a, a huge meal for Him and for the disciples. But she was cumbered. She should have been in there with Mary sitting down and uh, listening to what Jesus had to say. He was preaching. He was teaching to, to the, the people that were in the room. But it says she was cumbered about with much serving, not just service, but she was, she was going above and beyond what she, sh- what she uh, could have. And um, so one was, one was contented, the other was cumbered. And, um, you know, like I said, she had, she had good intentions, but Mary... On the other hand, she saw the, she saw the greater need. Mary, you know, she, she could have helped Martha, but she said, you know what? Jesus is present here. Jesus is, is here right now, and, and I don't know how much time I'll have with him. I'm going to spend time with Jesus instead of worrying about everything else that's going on. And this week, I expect Jesus to be here. I expect his presence here. You know, there, there's that story of, of the... Uh, the uh, town that was, was uh, in a drought and um, all the farmers and everyone came together and they, they went to this church and they were going to pray for God to send rain because all their crops were failing and everything was, uh, was going bad with that. And uh, they all came to the church and the pastor looked across the pews and he saw a little girl holding a red umbrella and uh, he thought to himself, that, that, that's the only, the, that girl is the only person that had the faith to bring an umbrella to expect God to send the rain. And um, instead of worrying about everything that's going on in your own life, and it, you know, there's so many things that could distract you. There's so many things that could, that, that could uh, lure you off and, and get you thinking about things that you shouldn't be thinking about and, and, and worrying about things, being cumbered. And, and, and like I said, that, that word means to be hindered. And a lot of times we hinder the work of the Lord in our lives because we're so, we're focused on something that it's a good thing, but it's not at the right time. There has to be a balance. The Bible says that a false balance is an abomination to the Lord. And uh, the Christian life is a, it's a, it's a tightrope walk. You're, you, you have to make sure you could be, you could be, um, you know, sitting so much that you're not doing anything for God and, and you're, you're inactive for the Lord. Um, but on the other hand, um, you could be like Martha where you're doing so much that you forget the reason why you're doing what you're doing. And um, so there has to be that balance. And, and Mary, she saw the greater need and, and, and it, caused her, uh, it caused Martha when she, when she came in there, it caused her to get, get bitter. You know what will hinder revival is bitterness. You get that bitterness, that wrath, that malice. 
and you look at other people and you look at what you're doing and you start to compare yourself and the Bible says, uh, you know, it's not wise to do so, uh, comparing yourselves amongst each other. But it says that here that she, she came and, and said to Jesus, Dost thou not care that my sister had left me to serve alone? Bid her therefore that she help me. And, um, you know, she, she came in, she was concerned. And I, I'd imagine in my mind's eye that she's just plain, flat out interrupting Jesus when he was, he was talking, to Mar, uh, talking to Mary and the other people. Jesus comes in, hey, Jesus, I know, uh, you know that's important what you're doing, but hey, I need help. And, uh, you know, she, she's standing up. She's not, a, look at the position. She's standing in Jesus' face while, she's, while Mary's sitting at Jesus' feet. Shows that she's humble. And um, there's a poem here. It says, Oh, to be more with Jesus, this is true life. Oh, to hear Jesus more, this is true service. Oh, to love Jesus more, this is true treasure. Oh, to abide with Jesus and never dream of going beyond Him. This is true wisdom. Uh, Charles Spurgeon, he said, Behold Mary, all reverence, all attention, all composure, feeding on the doctrine of eternal life. And she knew what she was doing when she was sitting at Jesus' feet. And might I say this week that that's what you ought to be doing is, is sitting and listening for what it says here, in verse number 39, that it says that she also sat at Jesus' feet and heard His Word. And you're not going to hear it when you're, when you're going here and going there and trying to, trying to uh, do everything you can. Sometimes you just need to, to sit down and listen to what God is telling you to do Amen. and what God has for you. We work when we should be worshiping. Sometimes that's the case. We work when we should be worshiping. We serve when we should be sitting. And it's just something, something to think about. And Jesus, uh, you know, you read, read some of the times where he taught people and, and uh, taught the, the multitudes, and he, he would sit down. He sat down with them. He taught them. He, he, you know, he, that just means that, you know, don't worry about everything else. We're, just relax and listen to what I have to say. And... Um, you look at Abraham in Genesis 18, we won't go there for sake of time, but he was called while he sat in the door of his tent. The disciples or the apostles were sitting in a room when the Holy Ghost filled the, filled the room. The Ethiopian eunuch, he was sitting in his chariot, he was meditating on the book of Isaiah before uh, uh, Philip came and led him to the Lord. So. <clears throat> poem here says, At the feet of Jesus, listening to His Word, learning wisdom's lesson from her loving Lord, Mary, led by heavenly grace, chose the meek disciple's place. At the feet of Jesus is the place for me. There a humble learner would I choose to be. And uh, in closing, go to Revelation chapter 2. Like I said, it's just a thought, something that you should consider going into this revival. Another familiar passage here in Revelation chapter 2, Jesus writing into the church of Ephesus, he says in verse number 1, These things saith he that holdeth the seven stars in his right hand, who walketh in the midst of the seven golden candlesticks. I know thy works, and thy labor, and thy patience. 
and how thou canst bear them which are evil. And thou hast tried them which say they are apostles and are not, and have found them liars, and hast borne and hast patience, and for my name's sake hast labored and hast not fainted. Nevertheless, I have somewhat against thee, because thou hast left thy first love. And uh, a lot of times we could get into a, a position where we're working, we have that patience, we have that labor that Jesus was talking about. He gives them a good uh, accommodation here. But he says, nevertheless, I have somewhat against thee because you, you've left something. There's something that's not precious to you anymore. There's something that just doesn't, it, it just do, you don't get those butterflies when you think of Jesus Christ and everything that he did for you anymore. And you've got to get back. It says in verse number five, remember, therefore, whence thou art fallen and repent and do the first works. Remember what Jesus Christ did for you. Get that fire back. And I think nowadays a lot of Christians, we get paralyzed and we get numb to what God is doing. And, and if you're not careful, you'll, you'll end up out of church. You'll end up bitter. You'll end up all upset and, and you won't don the doors of church until the rapture happens. And uh, it ought not be like that. But it's, he said, remember, from, therefore, from whence thou art fallen. Go back and... and, and and, and do the first works. Get back in fellowship with Jesus Christ. Snap out of the, the spiritual slumber that you're in. Because um, it's really important, especially, you know, you could look at revival and say, oh, it's just, a, it's just another meeting. It's just something, uh, you know, that I could attend. It's just something from my church. And, and, you know, you could go about your day, go to the revival, go back home, and nothing changes. And you could have the best preachers in here. You could have the best singing in here. Uh, the, the Bible says that uh, the church of uh, the Corinthians, they, um, they were the most talented church. They were the most gifted church in the Bible, if you, want, if you read that. But it, they were also the most carnal church. So gift, uh, your gifts and your talents and all those things, that means absolutely nothing if you're carnal. And uh, you, you got to be careful about that. So this, this week... And I, I would even challenge you, you know, if you're serious with the Lord, if you want revival, you know, be, tell the Lord you're serious. Pray to Him. You know, get, get rid of the social media for a week. Amen? Get rid of the TV for a week. And I'm not, I'm not preaching against that stuff um, in, a, in a very negative light. I'm just saying, you know, if, that, if that's distracting you and that's, that's causing you to, to lose focus, why don't you get rid of it for a week? And just focus on Jesus Christ. Focus on what He has. And, that, and that's the thing is like people are so, they're, they're so glued to, to the television and glued to their shows and glued to everything that, that God couldn't, God, you know, He's trying to talk to you. Revival, revival is a personal thing. The Bible says in Revelation 3, Jesus, Jesus is talking to the church of Laodicea. He says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. He said, If any man hear my voice... I will open the door and sup with him and he with me. But I think that a lot of times we, he's knocking at the door, but there's so, so many things going on inside the house that we can't hear. Joe, I was working the other day, or actually yesterday, and Joe came over and said that he knocked at the door. I didn't even hear him knocking. I was working. <laughs> and, um, but I think that's how, that's how it is with Lord Jesus Christ, is he's knocking at the door. He's knocking at your heart's door, and he wants to give you something. He wants to speak with you. It's not... Revival isn't, oh, the Lord's calling me to Zimbabwe, so better pack up and go. That's not, that's not how it is. He wants, he wants to talk to you. He's your friend. Amen? He's your Savior. He wants fellowship with you. 
And that's, that's what re- you should be uh, thinking about for revival is, is, you know, it's okay to work, but when Jesus shows up, you ought to be sitting at his feet. Give somebody power, it's hard to ever take it away from them. <laughs> well, I had a lot of things I was going to say, but most of them have already been said, so I guess I have to come up with something else to say. Uh, it's interesting in the, the jails when we're preaching, and oftentimes, uh, you know, we have multiple people that'll preach, and it's, and it's funny sometimes when we have people from different churches, people from this church, entirely different ideas, entirely different things going on throughout the week, months, years. And somehow when we find ourselves all preaching together, uh, we're looking at, at least some, I find myself looking at my outline saying, where, you know, who told him, <laughs> who told him what I was going to be preaching on? And uh, it's, it's God. It's God that he'll do that to help you out. He'll do that to reinforce us sometimes as preachers that uh, we don't just sit there and, and get burnt out staring at a TV and, or a TV, staring at a computer screen with our eyes burned out, trying to think of what in the world I'm going to say tonight. And uh, all the ideas, what, all the things to say in 20 minutes, what am I going to say that's going to be a help to somebody? And uh, God, I need, I need something that I say to go with the other three guys, or the two guys that I know are going to be preaching. Um, and it reinforces that. And it's good for you as a preacher when you see God reinforce something in advance that you had written on a piece of paper. Um, if you could go ahead and turn to the book of Luke, chapter number 13. Um, Luke chapter number 13 had a great day in the jail today. I mean, talking about some of the best singing I've ever had in the jail uh, happened today. We had a guy get saved today. Uh, precursors to revival. If you want, man, if you want revival, just pray that God will God will uh, fix you up and, and break you. And, and if he breaks you, maybe he'll be able to help somebody out uh, and then break you again <laughs> and be able to help somebody else out. And you get to be a part of something and you watch somebody else and get saved because of a lot of work and a lot of effort that many people have put in over many, many years. And I tell you what, there's some things I got out of my Bible today uh, in the last couple of weeks uh, that has been a help to me and, and things that I'm starting to see about why it's important to stick in church for a long time, even though sometimes you may not want to. And there's some people that aren't here today that didn't want to and they got out. But you ought to, you ought to stay in church even though you don't want to be in church. And I'm you know, I'm not trying to be a Debbie Downer, but there may be some, some of y'all in here that you're going into revival and you don't want revival and you don't want to be here and you're mad and you're angry and whatever the case may be and it'll be good for you to just stick it out. You can amen me, amen me somebody back there, somebody back in the technology section. Uh, uh, Luke chapter number 13, it'd be good for you to stick it out. Come to the realization that some of the issues that we deal with may not get solved this revival. They may get solved in four or five revivals from now if you bother to stick it out. You may not get every weed out of your life that you need to get out of your life in this revival. You may end up with more weeds after this revival. Why? Well, because we're a bunch of stinking sinners. (laughs) Going into a revival where some sinners are sick of their sin and they're trying to get some stuff out of their lives so they can be a help to more sinners. And this revival for me, I got some weeds out of my life. There's plenty more there. You know, like with any weed, you pull one weed out, there's usually a little baby one right underneath of it. But 
I would challenge you today, if, if, you're, if your heart's dead set, and there may be some people going into revival, you're dead set on not really trying to get anything out of it, that you, you try. Because that attitude is the first thing that's got to go for you to ever get any help. You go into revival with a bad attitude, uh, God may just have to break your attitude as a first step before he can deal with any of the underlying things. Because if you can't get through your attitude, he's never going to be able to get through all the stuff in your heart. And if you can't get through that, then it's never going to change you, and you're never going to be of any use to anybody else spiritually. So we're starting out before I go way off on a rabbit trail and spend my entire 20 minutes just talking about that. Luke chapter number 13. And if uh, Brother Tim, if you could go ahead and pray for me today. Luke chapter number 13, three pages over in my Bible from where Adam was at. And it will start here in verse chapter number 13, verse 6. He says, And he spake also this parable. A certain man had a fig tree planted in his vineyard, and he came and sought fruit thereon and found none. Then said he under the dresser of his vineyard, Behold, these three years I come seeking fruit on this fig tree, and I find none. Cut it down. Interesting word here. Why cumbereth it the ground? You just heard a message about being cumbered that may be reinforcing to something that somebody has going on in their mind right now. Why cumbereth it the ground? And he answered and said unto him, Lord, let it alone this year also till I shall dig about it and dung it. And if it bear fruit well, and if not, then after thou shalt cut it down. And that's the end. Don't know whatever happened to the tree. And... As a first step here, I would just like to let you know that the Lord is very much interested in what's going on in his vineyard. I would begin this story by talking about the very first garden that the Lord planted all the way back in Genesis chapter 2 and verse 8. And the Bible says, And the Lord God planted a garden east of Eden. And not much long after that, the Lord... We are, found, we, are, we are seeing that the Lord was found walking in that garden in the cool of the day. I imagine, as Adam has a mind's eye, we all have mind's eyes, and, and it's one of those things that, uh, you know, you, you can put out your own eyes if you see something you don't want to see, but you can't put out your mind's eyes sometimes. And I imagine Adam, or this guy was, uh, this man, he was going through his garden as the Lord did in that first garden that he planted that we have recorded in the cool of the day, and he it was early in the morning, and he went and he found his gardener, and they were just going through doing an assessment of all the trees and the vines and the plants that he had in his garden in the cool of the day. And it's interesting to me that the Lord focuses here on one single plant that he had been focused on going on three years. See, for the last three years, the Lord of this garden had walked out and looked at that tree. And when he saw, and as we could use a similar comparison, Isaiah chapter number five, where it says, I will sing a song of my beloved, uh, you know, song touching his vineyard. 
the Lord, or he, he planted a vineyard in a very fruitful hill, and it talks about how he fenced it, and he took out the stones, and he protected it, and he, and he built up a tower, and he did all these things. And I think we could take that extra information and put it into this situation, and the Lord here has the same amount of detail and effort that he's put into this garden, into this vineyard. And we find that he has but one plant that is not doing what it's supposed to do as a plant. It's cumbering the ground. Now, my definition, Adam, I'm sorry, I'm a little bit different here. Maybe I was in the wrong dictionary. Render useless to make vain. It was rendering, this plant, because it was refusing to produce, was rendering this patch of ground in this very fruitful hill where apparently the Lord was not focused on other plants outside of this one because they were doing what they were supposed to do. They were producing fruit. So this particular piece of ground in this vineyard was being cumbered. It was, for all intents and purposes, being rendered useless. Now, I don't know about you, but I know that that's been me a lot of times. There have been, maybe not the whole thing, and maybe not all parts of the garden. Maybe it hasn't been broken down yet. Maybe the walls haven't been burnt. Everything's been you know, destroyed. Maybe the garden's kind of okay, but there's one patch, and it seems like the Lord didn't spend a lot of time saying how good everything else was. He was focused on one patch that was not doing what he wanted it to do. And he had a lot of faith in his gardener. The Bible says here that the Lord said, I come seeking fruit on this tree, this fig tree, and find none. Cut it down, why cumbereth it the ground? My message is called Uncumbering Your Ground. Going into revival, I would imagine, just because of how I know how I am, I would imagine this has to apply to at least somebody else in here, that you know in all your entire vineyard, your entire patch of ground that the Lord owns, if you're saved, if you're not saved, you need him to purchase that ground first. I'm going to assume most people in here probably are, are in, the Lord is in control. He's the one who owns you, and he's just going through like he did in the garden, walking in the cool of the day, and he, he knows every part of your garden that is not producing fruit. And it's been one year, and it's been two years, and it's been three years. And he seeks it the fourth year, and he finds none. That's the long-suffering of God that many of us don't have. Where we show up the first year, and we say, God, it ain't producing, cut it out. <laughs> and God says, no, I'll wait another year. And he comes back the second year. And some of us are, God, it ain't producing, just cut it out. See, we like to, th we like to see stuff happen a lot faster. Sometimes we like to see stuff happen in the lives of other people a lot faster. That's where we can really mess up. That's what God has taught me in the jail is that sometimes these guys may take 10, 15, 20, 30 years before they even accept the Lord Jesus Christ, much less get things out of their life and start producing anything. Clearing the junk out, man. And the time that the Lord spent on this single fig tree, he leaves it wide open. I'm going to give you one more year, Gardner. And if you don't see anything happen in one more year, cut it out. 
You know what this year may be revival for you? It may be your last year that you have to say, God, I need to start seeing some fruit on these trees. More importantly, what's going on in the ground underneath this tree that's preventing this thing from producing fruit? It may be your last chance. Like I said, it may be, you may be four years down the road before you get some of these things out of your life. And God will wait four years like he waited for this fig tree. But if you wait too long and you don't bother to figure out what's going on in the ground underneath that, like what Adam said, you're too worried about something. Well, I got to do this, I got to do that. And all I can do is just survive. And it seems like this tree is only just producing leaves. And, 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 he, and he didn't say it was completely dead because it was apparently live enough to where it was producing leaves, but it was in survival mode. A lot of Christians are in survival mode. You don't have time to produce anything because why? You're cumbered about. And when you're cumbered about, the ground upon which you're built is cumbered. And the Lord looks for fruit on that foundation that he planted you in. So i got a couple questions here for you. First question is, Lord is very much aware of what's going on in his vineyard. Are you aware of what's going on in your own life? That's the perfect message, Brother Adam, because a lot of times we get so busy, we don't even have time to stop and think about what in the world is going on in our lives and where we are actually dead or where we need revival. And revival passes, and by the time revival passes, you were so busy during revival, you didn't even have time to sit down and figure out, man, do I even need to be revived, and what parts of my life do I need reviving in? The devil would love to get you so busy that you blow right through revival without getting anything. Second question. The Lord loves his vineyard, else he would have not spent so much time on the single plant. Now, me, if I was a landscaper, I would come to this position, and I'm looking at the cost and the time it's going to take me, and I'm going to put labor and all kinds of other things involved. And for most of the time, it's honestly, you know, it's, it's looking sickly. They just pull the thing out put another one in. The Lord doesn't operate that way. He's very different. And if, and if we in the church operated that way, we'd all be pulled out and dead. Thank God he doesn't just apply the way I would apply things as a landscaper to a site, just trying to get the, the client off my back. He's willing to, Brother, uh, brother uh, Zach, he's willing to take it as a bonsai tree. I want this thing to be here a long time. I invested, why? Because I invested in the seed to get this thing planted a long time ago, and I planted, the, I had the fruit, and I, don't, I just don't want all the fruit just to eat, but the, inside each one of those fruits of the Spirit, there's a seed. It's all the same type of seed. It's, the, it's, the, it's the, the gospel, the Word of God. When that fruit is consumed, there's a seed left over that can then be planted. You don't go around throwing fruit all over the place and try to expect something to grow. You eat the fruit. It's good for you. That's why you planted the tree in the first place, for the fruit. But then you take some of what's left over, and the core of each one of those pieces of fruit is a seed that can be planted in the ground, and it's supposed to grow. You know why some of you don't have any fruit growing in your garden? Because you're just like that little tree that we had out there at Adam's house. It's my final point. Sometimes the reason you don't have anything growing in that garden is because the tree that's there is not the tree that the Lord wants to be there in the first place. You got a tree, all right, that's growing there. It's a mulberry tree. It's one of those wild grapes. It's a, it's a, it's a fig tree. It's some wild fig tree. It's not supposed to be there. And you come to your garden, as many people in the jail may, and they're looking out their garden. They're saying, man, God, that ain't my story. I don't have a fruitful hill and vineyards and all this other stuff, and I'm just focused on one single plant. Maybe some of you are you're down to the point where you're focusing on a single plant, and God's trying to, hey, yeah, yeah, that's good. I'm glad everything else is producing, but, I, hey, I want more out of you. 
I need all you, not just whatever you want to give minus this little area. I want all you. Some of us, though, we get to certain parts of the life. We're content clearing like over at Adam's house. We cleared everything out. And you know what was left? One giant stinking mulberry tree. And that's why the Bible says over in Hebrews, let no root of bitterness. Some of you all may have not experienced that, but I have experienced bitterness. And how hard it is to get that root out when it turns into a tree. And how long it takes. Now here, I'll help you out. I'm going to help you out based on my experiences and the time it has taken me to get some of the things out of my life that I need to get out. You want to, you want to help somebody out that has some of these problems. Don't just yell at them. Don't scream at them. Understand that it may take what took you a few seconds to pull out because you got it at the right time and they let it grow till it's 5, 6, 10, 15 years old. It may take them an excavator to get that thing out. It may destroy parts of their life, parts of their ground. It may take up the time that could have something else been planted there and they're seeing the fruit of somebody else and they realize that, hey, for me, for me to take the rest of this garden where I need to go, this big tree has got to go. And not only that, but as we learned from Brother Evans a long time ago back at, uh, at Jubilee, he was talking about how all the roots connect and some trees have roots and they have poisonous root systems like, like a black walnut. Everything underneath it is dead. And that root system will spread, and as it spreads, it kills the grass and everything underneath of it and above it. And that tree has to be ripped out, has to be cut down, ripped out. And, and man, it's not just a matter of you know, me going out and pulling it out of the ground. Over there, I was, I was just sitting there on the excavator, and I dug out one side, and I dug out the other side, and then I had to go around and take it from a different angle, dig out this side. This is kind of how preaching works. It just one side, another side, and a different person, and another person, and this preaching here, the preaching there, years and years and years in some cases to get these things out. And then you grab it, and you go, and you pull it, and you know, it's time to go out. Why? Because I want to plant something here down the road that will give me fruit. That's the goal. That's the goal right there. I want to plant something down the road that God can walk through my vineyard and say, I am happy that thing is there. And you start to rip and you pull the thing back. You got the claws locked around it and you pull back and it flips your excavator almost and jars you all over the place. Why? Because it's now a tree of bitterness, a tree of wrath. You know, all those trees, they'll talk. They interconnect. They mix with, the, they, they lock around the rocks in the ground. They lock around. And you know, the more I realize that I garden, the more I start studying the, the parable of the sower and the, Mm, you start seeing how your heart is and how easy it is for stuff to get in. And then it, it leads. It's not just a root of bitterness, man. It's a root of bitterness that can go over there and mesh with a root of anger. And it'll get locked around some stony, hard parts. You've got to pull this thing out, and this thing's holding it in, too. And this thing's holding it in. See, it's not just a matter of pulling one thing out, Christian. Sometimes for God to get in where he can even get a piece of ground, where he can even plant something, and, and then it doesn't grow, he's already had to do so much work. And that first step over there in Isaiah chapter number 5, tearing stuff out of your life. And you got to be, as a Christian, you got to let people sit there and run that excavator and just grab it. And, and like I told the guys at the jail today, you just, just rock it back and forth. You know what preaching does over time? You'll stay there on that excavator. As hard as it may be and as much destruction as it may cause you, you think sometimes, eventually someday you hear, <laughs> and I'll tell you what, there's no better feeling in your life than when you hear that crack and you go to pull on that lever and that thing comes out of the ground and God gives you victory over something like that. Because the Lord loves his vineyard. 
And he's willing to let that gardener do whatever is required to tear out whatever is required to be out so he can have space to then fill with good soil so he can plant with good seed that people throughout history have died for to get that seed and keep it preserved. And for one of those seeds that's no bigger than the size of this pen tip, enters in your heart and it sprouts and it gives you just enough rain to keep you going. And he took what was bitterness or wrath or discontentment or all the things that nailed him to the cross and he plants something there that starts to create the fruit that not only he is going to enjoy consuming but there's seeds left over that can then be planted into the lives of somebody else. You want revival tonight. The thing that he's been pointing out in your life, be it a tree that's dead and dying, or be it a tree that's not even supposed to be there, pull it out of your life, or take the steps required to fix it. He'll be there with you on the excavator. He'll be there with you on the pruning and the digging Whatever is required to take whatever piece of ground you have and create the vineyard that he can walk through in the cool of the day and be happy he's got it there. Amen. Take your Bibles and go to Mark, the book of Mark, the book of Mark chapter number 14, please, tonight. Book of Mark chapter number 14, for sake of time, I won't read the whole passage, but know that this is a a portion of scripture where Jesus Christ is going to Gethsemane and uh, he is, of course, uh, the Bible says he is in an agony. He's praying earnestly uh, where the pressure of what he's about to embark on uh, is, is weighing on him so much that he's sweating great, drop, uh, great drops of blood. And, um, of course, he has his disciples here and he brings all of them so far and then he takes Peter and James and John a little further with him, and they, he gives them some instructions here in verse number 34, uh, verse, starting verse 33, and it says, And he taketh with him Peter, James, and John, and began to be sore amazed, and to be very heavy. And he said unto them, My soul is exceeding sorrowful unto death. Tarry ye here and watch. He says, Tarry ye here and watch. And we know uh, that in the, last, in the last days, and this is the last days of Jesus Christ, the last moments here of His earthly ministry, He brings His disciples to a place where He says, I just need you to sit here and watch and pray as I go further and, and I take care of my business between me and the Lord. Now, in and of itself, the key to revival is found in this, and it's not within what the disciples do, it's found in what Jesus Christ does. 
And that's the Gethsemane experience. Revival in and of itself is simple, and that is simply, not my will, Lord, but thine be done. It's no longer me that wants control. It's you to have control. And if God has control, well then, hey, revival can happen whenever you want it. Amen. It's not a date. It's not a certain preacher. It's not a certain meeting. Uh, but that can happen. That's, that's the key to revival in here. But there's something here that is extremely important in the day and age in which we live because it is the number one thing we're warned about before this thing wraps up. And uh, you know what I'm talking about tonight? I'm talking about sleepwalking tonight. If you uh, look with me, Jesus Christ gives a commandment here to watch. And we know that uh, with the other portions of the Bible, we know that this watching includes praying. And he says it later on in the passage. But we know that there is a huge likelihood that uh, there, there's, there's a huge uh, temptation, if you will, to go to sleep in the last days. Hey, it's hard. Listen, we get tired. Hey, listen, we know that, uh, that uh, right before the sun comes, it's the fourth watch of the night, and that's when Jesus comes out walking on the water, amen. We know in type that we're, we're coming down to the last few moments of the church age, and it is dark, it is dreary, and guess what? He says, can you just watch and pray for a little while longer? Can you just watch and pray? And he goes a little further and he prays and being in an agony. And you see what happens in verse number 37. The Bible says, And he cometh and findeth them sleeping. And saith unto Peter, Simon, sleepest thou? Couldst thou not watch one hour? The, the warning is, why are you sleeping? Why are you asleep? I asked you to watch. I asked you to pray. I asked you to watch is to be alert. To know what's going on, to pray, to nurture my spiritual needs, and to be aware. And he says, why are you sleeping? We're admonished in other places in Romans chapter 13, verse 11. It says, and that knowing the time, that now it is high time to awake out of sleep, for now is our salvation nearer than when we believed. You understand? What's the danger? Falling asleep. Ephesians chapter 5, verses 14 and 16 says, Wherefore he saith, Awake thou that sleepeth, arise from the dead, and Christ shall give thee light. See then that you walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise, redeeming the time, because the days are evil. If you were trying to see what he was talking about, he says the days are evil. Over in Galatians, if you're here on Thursday night, what does he tell he wants to deliver you from? He wants to deliver you from this present evil world. The problem in the last days is that the church is going to have a tendency to just fall asleep. To just fall asleep. That's our temptation, ladies and gentlemen, tonight. Our temptation is to get a little tired, to get a little dreary. You see, listen, listen, listen. The devil, the world, and the flesh have a great way of coming together and putting in a beautiful chorus of the softest, most beautiful lullaby you've ever heard. And it knows all the, all the right notes and all the right timing and all the softness to just lull you to sleep. You say, why do you, we need revival? We need to make sure we're awake. 
We need to make sure that we're not sleeping. We need to make sure that we are aware of what's going on, that we're not caught off guard, that we're doing exactly what we're supposed to be doing. And then he confronts Peter. He, he, he singles Peter out in verse number 37. And so he confronts him. And why does he confront him? Because he misunderstood the expectation. He misunderstood the expectation that was put on him. You know that by verse 29 through 31. It says, but Peter said unto him when he tells him what's about to happen, he gives him the inside scoop. Listen, I'm, you're going to be offended because the shepherd's going to uh, go, the sheep are going to be scattered. And then Peter, of course, rises up and says, although all shall be offended, yet will I not. Jesus tells him that he's going to deny him three times and says, but he spake the more vehemently, if I should die with thee. I will not deny thee in any wise, likewise also said they all. Listen, he thought, he thought that the stand in his last days was totally different than what Jesus Christ wanted him to do. He thought, he thought, listen, he thought that it was like taking up a sword and cutting somebody's ear off. Amen. He thought, listen, hey, surely I'll die with him. And Jesus says, hey, listen, in a few verses, I just want you to pray and watch, man. Oh, wait, it wasn't. It wasn't doing some great thing. It wasn't making some great stand. It wasn't having some great title. It wasn't being recognized. It wasn't being the tough guy. It wasn't. No, he just wanted you to watch and pray and not fall asleep. But what I, thought for, I thought forever that it was something other than that. Yeah, you misunderstood the expectation, Peter. I just wanted you not to fall asleep. Listen, folks, the, the temptation for us is to fall asleep. He tells you the consequences in verse number 38. Look at what he says. He says, watch ye and pray. Why? Because if you don't, what's the problem? You're going to enter into temptation. Because the world in which you live in, you know what? The temptation is streamlined to you now, ladies and gentlemen. Your flesh has got a channel. Your flesh has got, a, has got an advertisement. And boy, you have the thing in your hand that just connects your temptation to whatever it is your flesh needs and wants. And if you're not watching and praying, you know what you're going to do? Fall into temptation. What does he say? The spirit truly is ready, but the flesh is weak. He acknowledges the flesh and the spirit war. Don't you know that's the most basic fundamental thing after you get saved is now I have this thing inside of me that says, don't do this. And then I have this thing inside of me that says, well, I want to do that. And the spirit wars against the flesh and these things are contrary to another. But we thought it was something else. And he says, no, I just want, to, want you to watch and keep your heart right. That's really what I'm looking for. I want you to keep yourself tender. I don't want you to be deceived. I want you to keep this thing in perspective. And Peter, boy, he, he falls asleep. Look at, he confronts a group in verse number 40. He says, and when he returned, he found them again. He found them again asleep. He says, and he doesn't just rebuke Peter. You know what he does? He talks to everybody this time. He talks to everybody this time. And you know what he says? He says, he says here that their eyes were heavy and nobody could give him an answer. You know what? Peter, he misunderstood the expectation. And you know what the group did? They, they underestimated the load. Do you understand, ladies and gentlemen, tonight? It's hard to stay right right now. This world is hard. 
Listen, I've had news of several friends in the last month. I'm talking guys that when I was in Bible college, I looked up to them like big brothers. They knew so much more Bible than me. They could preach better than me. Everything about them. I just wish, Lord, I wish I had their upbringing. I wish I had their, their church background. I wish I knew the Bible like they did. I wish I could pray like they could. I wish that I was as smart as they are. I wish I had the talent they had. Not even in church anymore. Hey, why? Underestimated the pressure. Underestimated the load that was going to be put on them underestimated it. Oh, it's a lot harder than what you thought. Because you know what happens? The problem in your marriage, it weighs on you after a while. And you've learned how to live with it so far, but you know what's happened? It's just weighed on you so much. It's like, you're just getting the nods, you know. Oh, I mean, I just don't know if I can keep going. It's just, it's just like, it's just making you go to sleep. And that trouble in your flesh you know what's happening? You're fighting that thing, and you know what? It's getting weary. You're just sick of fighting. Because the fight just seems to be constant. There's no lull in the battle. There's, there's no stopping of the shelling. It's just bombarding after bombardment after bombardment. And it's like, man, Lord, I'm just, I'm tired. My flesh has given me a fit. My kids are a prodigal. My, 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 my marriage is not what it should be, not what it could be. My wife's this, my husband's this, my, my kids are this, my job is this, my financial struggle, my health struggles. I've been fighting it, and I've been fighting it, and I've been fighting it, and they're good people. They're good people. And they're saved, and they love God. And at one point, they would do anything for Jesus. And now, that lullaby has entered their ears. and You never see somebody get the nods in church? Amen. That's what you're doing. You're nodding off. It says, you know what it says? Their eyes were heavy. You want to know why? Because there's pressure on them. There's pressure on you and I. I want to quickly show you here. He comes to them once. He comes to them twice. He comes to them a third time in verse 41. It says, and he cometh the third time. And look at what he says. Sleep on. You know what he does? He concedes his efforts. I'm not going to tell you no more. Sleep on. You know what the problem is here? He tells them to sleep on. They were unaware of their condition. They were unaware. He wasn't talking about physical sleep. He wasn't talking about compromising on the Bible. He wasn't talking about, you know, uh, he wasn't talking about, you know, going out and shacking up and committing adultery. He wasn't talking about smoking and drinking and cussing and all those stinking things everybody preaching about. That's revival. You get quit stopping all your nasty stuff and everything else. That's not what he's talking about. Because you know what happens? He says, sleep on. And then look at what it says in the next verse. What does it say? Immediately, Judas and them come. They didn't have time to continue sleeping. But you know what they were spiritually? They were catching Z's, man. They were sleep at the wheel. They were walking zombies. Sleepwalking. You say, how do you know that? Because the moment they came, and he says, why are you coming with your swords and staves? I was with you in the synagogues. Why didn't you take me back there? 
You come out against a thief, you know what Peter does? He exhorts to the carnal immediately. Cuts that dude's ear off. You know what they do? Exactly what he told them they were going to do. You know what they did? They forsook Jesus Christ. Want to know why? They were sound asleep. Ladies and gentlemen, tonight, you want to know why Paul says, don't be deceived, don't be deceived, don't be deceived, don't be deceived, because you can be sitting in church here tonight, you can amen what I'm saying, everything, but the problem is, is you're sound asleep. You say, why is that? Because this world has got your attention. You know what everybody's talking about now? You know know what, uh, if you listen to Alex Jones, anybody here, listen to Alex Jones. I mean, on the inside scoop. Right? Listen to all these guys, the conspiracy guys. Don't you know that this is what they're doing? And this is a proxy war? And this is this, that, and the other? And hey, guess what? You know what he says? You know what they tell you? You better wake up, America! The world's saying, wake up! Look at what's going on over here! Look at what's going on over here! You know what? There's a big, big movement right now. It's called wokeism. I'm going to tell you something, folks. The more woke you are to what's going on in the world the more I know you're asleep at the wheel when it comes to spiritual things. That's the pulse, ladies and gentlemen, the last days. He says, you know what the temptation is? If I, if I, listen, if I asked you guys what the newscast said last week, you'd be able to tell me more than what you heard in preaching last week. You say, why? You're sleeping. Ring in your hands. Oh, I don't know what's going to happen in Ukraine. I don't know. Russia, you could say, press the big blue button. I don't know what's going to happen. Oh, my goodness, I can't believe what is, what's going to happen. What's going to happen? And the devil's like, sleeping. Got him sleeping. Got him sleeping. Stuff going on in the church and kicking everybody and all the little junk that happens. And everybody's like, what is that? It's slumber. Asleep to the things of God. Asleep to spiritual things. You know what? The, the pro- they didn't stop being disciples. They were still disciples. But the problem was they were asleep. You know what? Like I said, I preached a couple weeks ago, that whole thing about accepting truth. And you can, listen, you can acknowledge the truth without receiving the truth. Our problem in the last days is we're deceived thinking that we're right with God because we're in church and we're doing what we're supposed to be doing and we're making the monotony list. And the problem is, is we're asleep at the wheel because we're worried about everything out there and everything in here. You know what it is? It's dull in here. But boys, oh boys, if we brought up Fox News, you'd get passionate real quick. Boy, you would, you'd have a skip in your step and you'd have some rumble in your voice when you start talking about political issues, but you don't ever say amen in church. Why is that? Because you're sleeping. Amen. You're asleep. Amen. You are asleep. Why do we need revival? We need to wake up. We need to wake up. Because what's really important isn't out there. It's in here. Because I don't care how bad it gets out there. If my relationship with Jesus Christ is right, it doesn't matter. Folks, we need to wake up. We need to realize 
We're falling into the trap that Jesus Christ said was going to come. We knew it was coming. We knew it was coming. You need, to, you need to wake up. You know how you stay awake? You get uncomfortable. I got like 30 seconds. I'm going to shut up. You know what I'm going to tell you to folks? Maybe you're, maybe you're just nodding. Maybe you're asleep, whatever it is. You want to know why? I say, before this revival starts, say, Lord, wake me up. My eyes are heavy. My pillow is looking greater and greater every day. Lord, would you please wake me up this week? Would you send a preacher and yell and wake me up? Because I, I, I want to be awake when you come. I want to I see him. I want to be aware. Will we say, take some time with your heads bowed and your eyes closed? Say, Lord, I don't want to be asleep. God, I, I want to be, be awake. And in order for you to be awake, you know what you need to do? Ditch everything that this world is telling you to focus on. Lord, I'm tired. I've been fighting. God, I have been, listen, I have been wore out. Temptation after temptation after temptation. My spirit is willing, God, but my flesh is so weak. Would you help me to wake up? I'm so passionate about all this other stuff. Lord, wake me up, please. That's what we need this week. A wake-up call. He says, Awake thou that sleepest. Arise from the dead, and Christ shall give you light. You just got three really good messages. And what Joe just finished there on, I wrote down some notes. Mary, Martha was sleeping... Mary was awake. Uh, the, the owner of the vineyard was awake, and his husbandman was awake. The tree was sleeping. Uh, the husbandman was trying to bring the thing up, and then everything Joe just said right there. Uh, when I was in the Navy, if y'all didn't know I was in the Navy, we had a watch. They took that thing very serious. Uh, you, you had a watch. If your watch was from midnight to 4 in the morning, uh, you appeared at that watch 15 minutes early. You, your relief came 15 minutes before 4. You were on watch, or you could lose stripes. You could lose money. They didn't play no games. You say, well, what? It's just a watch. Anything can happen in that four hours. You say, well, we're safe. We're safe in Norfolk, Virginia at port. There's no chance of anything ever happening. Anything can happen in four hours. 24 hours a day, 365 days a year, there was somebody on watch. There was somebody on watch at the front of the pier. So you couldn't just come down the pier unless you belonged on that pier. There's somebody on the watch at the ladder of each ship there, so you couldn't just get on that ship. Any, 24 hours a day, 365 days a year. You couldn't get on the base unless you had access to the base because there was a watch at the base. You know, they put a watch at every access point in the military. And they required you to stay awake. If you fell asleep on watch, you're toast. You know what's wrong with most people? They get bitter. They get angry. They get upset. And they say, well, I don't want to do that. But that's what's required. Take your songbook. Let's, do, let's sing song, uh, 181. I was called to be a, a servant years ago. And Mary's the place you really want to be. 
Uh, I'm telling you what, we need to do all the other stuff. I got it, man. But when it comes time, you need to be able to let go of it. The hardest thing to do sometimes is letting go. But we're soldiers. We're soldiers for the cross. We're a soldier. And uh, I'd rather, I wish somebody would write a song, Onward Christian Sailor. Uh, but, but we're soldiers, man. We're soldiers. And you've got to do what a soldier does and a soldier fights. And, you know, I was in the military 14 years. I never had to fight. You don't always have to fight, but you just got to be ready. Always be ready. Always be ready. GQ in the middle of the night, 2 o'clock in the morning. General quarters, general quarters, out of Iraq. It's the most inconvenient. You know what the captain expects you to do in the middle of the night? Be ready. And you were ready. Guess what? There was people all over that ship on watch 24-7. In the middle of the ocean, pier side, didn't matter where. You got to be on watch. 